So a big thanks to the team. Awesome job, preachers. Um, and thank you for giving us a chance to get emotionally refreshed and restored. I think possibly, you know, you can get physically tired. You can feel spiritually drained. I think the, you know, if you're physically tired, go to bed. <laughs> you know, if you're spiritually tired, go to God. The emotional bit, so both of those are fairly easy to fix. I think the emotional bit just, just can take a little while longer just to be restored and be energized again. So <clears throat> thank you so much. Um, today, I'm actually going to continue the series I started, which is Beliefs and Mindsets to Change Cities, with, with direct and particular reference to the referendum that we've just been through and, and the outcome that, that we're all feeling in different ways. And, and I'm aware that we... Uh, Church is not the place, is, we are not aligned politically, okay? And yeah. I'm not here to make political statements about Europe or anything because I, the thrust of my message is that we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that isn't of this world. Yeah. And that fundamentally we're not of this world either. Your citizenship is first of all in heaven, not Scotland, Great Britain, or, or Europe. And that our lives flow out of those realities first and foremost. Uh, often I've had people say to me, why don't we address the issues that are happening in our world more often? And, and my reason is because I don't believe that we should take our agenda from what's happening in the world. Uh, I don't want to be led by world events. I want to be led by Holy Spirit and what, what God is shaping up. I just happen to think that this event and what's happening in the heavenlies are aligned. Often major upheavals are not just the, effect, the affairs of men, but they're a reflection of shifts in the heavenlies. And I think we are experiencing a moment like that. And it's important that we lift our eyes and we see the real source of this and, and also where, what incredible opportunities of, of the day we're in. I just felt in worship, God say to me, it's really important that we don't have our eyes so much on the turmoil and potential turmoil of our, of our moment on the earth that we miss the incredible shifts that are happening actually in our society because God is on the move. And you can be so preoccupied with, I don't know, what's going to happen to my job or what's going to happen to Scotland or what's going to happen to the value of my house or any number of knock-on effects of, of what's been happening that you can actually then not see what God is doing on the earth and, and start, you're not partnering with him in the end because you're not observing, you're not hearing or seeing what he's doing. Your vision is filled with something else. And really our goal today is just to kind of recalibrate our vision, uh, get our heartbeat beating with heaven uh, so that we're not beating with anxiety, fear, or many other things that we have all felt. All right, I, I felt it. We came back from holiday early hours of Friday morning. And I'm turning on the TV and I'm like seeing all these sort of things. I'm like, oh my goodness, our life is just changing in front of my eyes. Um, and, and I find that stuff fascinating. I spent two hours just catching up and I wanted to hear what uh, Nicola Sturgeon had to say, Boris Johnson, you know, the whole thing. I wanted to know what, the, and I didn't want the edited version because sometimes... When you just read the papers or get it in the news, they edit it out. I wanted to hear the whole thing. Um, the, the news media try and serve us so well, but often they, their editing process means you miss the context of what, what people are saying. So, uh, listen, uh, 
I'm in to this thing. I think this is just the most amazing moment that we're living in. And it's, it, there's plenty to be concerned about. Um, and, and it's not for me either to, to tell you what my position is or was or will be because I don't believe a, a, a spiritual leader's job is to talk to you about what your conscience should tell you to do. Uh, that's really, really important. You, you vote in these things with your conscience, not with mine. Okay, so I have views. And if you talk to me privately, you'll, you'll hear about them if you want to, or sometimes if you don't. But the, the, <laughs> the point of what we're doing as, as a kingdom community, this family thing called a church, is we're representing another dimension. We're representing, we're representing heaven. We are experiencing heaven, and we're here to represent Jesus to the earth all right, primarily. Of course, we take the concerns that we're picking up on the earth and reflect them back to him, but primarily we're here to implement, reflect heaven's agenda, heaven's values, and, and the activities of heaven. And, and this morning I'm going to use phrases like heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, and I believe biblically they're all interchangeable. Uh, if you read the Bible, the book of Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven, uh, the other Gospels talk about the kingdom or the kingdom of God. They mean the same. And, and often in the early church, this, the word heaven meant kingdom, even without the kingdom word in it. So it's, it's interchangeable uh, current language, currency. Is that, is that okay? So if you hear those words, they kind of mean more or less the same thing. It's the unseen realm of God where his will is done with, without interference. His will is perfectly expressed and experienced. His presence is fully there. That's what heaven is in my view. And the goal is that heaven becomes, that earth becomes more like heaven. So we're told to pray that, that his will would be done and his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. So if it is as it is in heaven, it means the will of God done on earth unhindered and it's full of his manifest presence in equal measure to what it is in, in heavenly places. Yeah, so that's, that's our goal. That's what we're about. That's what we're praying for in, in this season. I think we live in now in a particularly destabilizing <clears throat> time, and I'm not sure that they're, they're out. I think they've begun rather than ended in, in the decisions that have made. And, and for us in Scotland, the, the, there's other potential destabilizing things on the table. So, excuse me, nearly two years ago, we had, we had our own referendum, as you know, and at that point, the majority will of the people was to remain part of the United Kingdom. And then not too many months ago, we voted in a party uh, in the SNP whose declared and, and clear intent is to take Scotland out of the United Kingdom. So we put into Holyrood a party who, who are doing a good job, in my view, of running the country, but inside their heartbeat is that is their passion. Then we've just had a UK-wide referendum, which is voted to take us out of the EU, but most of Scotland voted to stay in. So we here are in court, in binds, whichever way you look, and whichever persuasion you particularly have. Yeah. Is, that, is that fair to say, rather than... So this isn't going to go away tomorrow. And uh, so what, what for us as the people of God, how do we handle this? Okay, How do we walk through this? 
Because I believe our goal and our role is to transform our city and our nation. That we're not simply here trying to get through and get by while the world rumbles on and people have their votes and we just keep the peace. You know, we're, we're nice Christians doing our jobs, earning money, paying our bills and trying to win a few people to Jesus. Actually, our goal is to change the world. Um, and this theme follows me wherever I go, even on holiday. Uh, so I'd like us, so on holiday, we took a two-day trip to the city of Ephesus. So I'd like us to turn to Acts 19, which is about the city we visited. Um, I absolutely loved it. I mean, we had, Theresa and I had two days in Ephesus, Hierapolis. We went to the place where I think uh, the mother of Jesus, uh, Mary, lived. I mean, we had spiritual encounter after spiritual encounter. We went to the tomb and the spot where uh, the Apostle Philip was, was uh, crucified, probably, and buried. My goodness, it was like a spiritual encounter fest. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles or the screen or whatever, we're going to turn to Acts 19. And unusually for us, we're going to read the whole thing. Uh, are we in NIV? Okay, I'll move around the speaker, so we'll just read it together. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And he answered, and they answered, I can't even see around there, no. <laughs> we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So not particularly well informed, these guys. Uh, so Paul asked, well, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied, Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming. Oh, here we go. I need glasses to do that, though. <laughs> Excuse us. So we get our stage props sorted out. But everybody in this room can read, eh? Uh, he told the people to believe in the one who's coming after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were 12 men in all. I just want to make the point that that was the beginning of a major revival. Was In this case, 12 men got absolutely whacked in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. It's fundamental to anything else happening. <laughs> Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and I know Paul, but who are you? <laughs> then the man, <laughs> this is a really, we haven't got time to get into all this, but it's really interesting to know, you know, are we known in the spirit realm? Then the man who had an evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. 
When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. So these are the people who already believed. A number who had practiced sorcery brought out the scrolls together and burned them publicly. When, the scrolls, when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachma. In this way, the word of the Lord grew, spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia. While he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer, about this time there arose a great disturbance about the way. This is still in Ephesus. A silversmith named Demetrius, who'd made silver shrines to Artemis, and brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, Men, you know we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear now this fellow Paul is convinced and led astray. Large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in the principality and practically the whole province of Asia, he says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is a danger not only that our trade will lose its name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, whose worship throughout the province of Asia and the whole world will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples wouldn't let him in. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing and some another. Hmm, interesting, eh? (laughs) Most of the people didn't even know why they were in there. I love the Bible, keep going. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make the defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. (laughs) The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. You brought these men here, though they have neither robbed our temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have grievances against anybody, the courts are open, there are proconsuls, they can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since... There is no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. I know it's long, but it's worth the read just for the comedy value, isn't it? It's like <laughs> so we, we went on holiday and we went to Ephesus, which is a real place and was a very real place then. It was in that time when Paul arrived up, it was the second city of the Roman Empire. It was immensely wealthy. It was a center of trade and... It, it, it was a big city for those days. It was at least 240,000 people. And the way they know that is the theater that's talked about in the scripture there, which is we would call an amphitheater, was built to house one person from every family 
in the city because the way that the Romans and the Greeks did democracy was that every, every family had to be represented at regular city meetings. So they built a theater in which one person from every family could sit. To, so they had a big session where they discussed matters concerning the city and made decisions, which is the assembly that he refers to. In order to do that, so they had, there was one seat per family and they estimated that every family would have five people in, in those days. So if you've got, and that, the, the theater that we stood in seats 24,000 people. And it's massive, and the acoustics are incredible. And that's where this riot took place. It says the whole city was in uproar. And they dragged these two disciples in, and they're shouting for two hours, great is Arthur's. I mean, this is a huge event. Here's a city of 214, maybe a quarter of a million people. So you calculate the families. So if you do five times 24,000, and then you double it because there was at least one slave per free man. And that's where you get to. So another way of doing it is just go 10 times the number of seats in the theater in any Roman city will give you approximately the population. So this is a big city. Depends on who you read about how big the church became, but estimates vary between 30 and 80,000 people. <clears throat> in a city of 240,000 people. The other thing that it was famous for was the Temple of Artemis, which was known as one of the seven wonders of the world, of the ancient world. It was grand, it was large, it was built on, on, on a cliff top, and it was just gigantic, and it could be seen from way out to sea. Uh, and people came from all over the known world to worship there and be part of this thing going on with Artemis, and she became this goddess who was really a goddess of facility? Fertility is what I'm thinking about. Okay. Um, very weird-looking statue of her. So this, this whole temple generated business, and there were hundreds, if not thousands, of people employed in the whole Artemis thing. Making images, selling trinkets, writing scrolls. There's even a whole like separate building for the cult of Artemis. And, and there was, housed in there was temple prostitutes, priests, etc., etc. So this, this was a ginormous thing going on in this city that employed a lot of people, made a lot of money, and shaped the culture of that city. So probably two major cultural atmosphere setting influences on on the city of Ephesus were the Romans and Artemis. All right? So you see at the end of the story, the, the, the clerk is saying, hey, guys, let's quieten down here because we could be accused of creating a riot. The reason he's so nervous is he's afraid as if word gets out that there's trouble, the Romans will be in and they'll crack down on this thing with pretty harsh. The, the centurions will rock up. He's afraid of the Roman authorities because they will be seen of having some sort of, un, some sort of riot that is unauthorized and without reason. Yeah. So there's, there's, the background to this thing is, here's all these people potentially losing their jobs or their income, uh, losing the pull as a kind of, I don't know, spiritual tourist capital of, of the eastern Mediterranean, 
And there's a whole Roman thing of, well, we've got to keep things calm or they'll come in and take away. Actually, what they're afraid of is the Romans would step in and then they'd lose a lot of their freedoms. There was quite a lot of freedoms in the city of Ephesus. Is, it, is this making sense? So it was a real place with this massive theater with a real riot going on. Paul was in danger of his life from these people and they're shouting and, they're, and there's confusion and there's... There's pulls on them because their life is shaped by these bigger things, by the Roman Empire, by the worship of Artemis. And that creates a set of values and a set of commitments to values that shape the way they live life in this city. And it was a beautiful city. It had drains and toilets and artwork and pavements. And I mean, it was, it, it was, it, don't think this was primitive. This was incredible. The city is just incredible. To walk through, it's, it, it's breathtaking now and it's, a lot of it is, is a ruin. And here we have probably the best, in Scripture, the best fleshed out example of city transformation because the kingdom of God arrived through a small team of people who, who showed up with Paul. This city is being turned upside down. Its value system is being challenged. Its economic structure is being challenged. Because Paul and his companions believed they were representing and carrying with them an authority of a kingdom that was far superior to even the Roman kingdom. They believed the government of heaven which they represented and they exercised was the most significant thing to happen to the planet since creation. They believed that this was way more significant than Artemis or the Romans. And they believed that their God bowed to no one, that that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Lord of all, of heaven and earth. He was the Lord of the Romans and he was Lord of Artemis. He was Lord over all things and all powers. And they came to make that declaration and demonstrate that reality. And Paul spent 18 months teaching about that and doing extraordinary miracles. That was his kind of double punch, if you like. He taught this reality and he demonstrated this reality until not only that city, but the entire province of Asia, which the Romans called then included Hierapolis, Hierapolis, Colossae, Laodicea, was filled with this teaching and new churches were being planted. Some of them grew to be vast and large all around this area and the remains of their buildings are still there today. This was amazing. This was cultural transformation. This was a city being impacted because the kingdom of heaven was arriving on the earth through a band of people who just believed their kingdom was the greatest kingdom. That heaven was coming to earth and they didn't need to bow to or worry about what the agendas were of the other authorities that were at play in that world at that time. Is is this making sense? The turning point in the story There's this sort of building, building thing going on. Lots of people getting saved. Lots of people getting healed. People getting delivered. And then there's this strange thing where these Jewish exorcists use the name of Jesus and rather than succeeding in delivering someone, they get beaten up. So seven of them get beaten up by one guy. So demon power can give you extraordinary strength. And then that puts fear on the whole community. And then people who have already believed, so they've already come to Christ, start to bring out their secret practices. And they bring out all their scrolls, which have represented their past life and that adherence to 
goddesses and gods and all kinds of other sort of occult practices. And they bought them out and they burned them publicly. So there was a massive public bonfire of anything written down, scrolls, spells, anything to do with Artemis was actually publicly burned to the value of 50,000 drachma. Now to you and I, that's like, is that a holiday in Greece then? Uh, well, not anymore because they've got the euro, although who knows how long that'll last. But the point is, 50,000 50, right, 50, drachma, a drachma was a day's wage, so it depends how you estimate it, but it's between four and four and a half million pounds worth of scrolls. That's a lot of scrolls in anybody's money. Yeah, a lot of value. So these converts were now willing to disclose their hidden occult practices and sacrifice the value. They must have paid a fortune for this stuff, but they just laid it all on the bonfire so that they could follow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus, and represent his kingdom, not something less than his kingdom. There are other kingdoms, but the greatest kingdom, the most significant kingdom, the most powerful kingdom, the most full of love kingdom is the kingdom of heaven which is coming to earth. And these people were demonstrating publicly their allegiance to this coming kingdom that had invaded their lives. And then you get the riot because, my goodness, maybe some of the people that wrote the scrolls and sold them for ridiculous amounts of money saw their work being burned. The people who came to faith were breaking their partnership with the powers that govern their age. They were willing to demonstrate and act their lives in a way that was not in alignment with what everybody else in the city was doing. Regardless of how big that majority was and how powerful that atmosphere was. So all these beliefs and practices, whether it's, it's the, the Roman rule or the occult practices, create an atmosphere that steers a community and a culture in a certain direction. And it's always just easier to go with that flow. And usually that flow is generated and sustained because of fear. Most of our society is built on fear. People today are scared. Maybe they don't want to call it scared. They may call scared concerned or anxious. Or, but unknowns, lack of clarity creates anxiety. And I believe God's called us not to partner with the spirits and powers of this age, which has caused us to be move into anxiety and fear because we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken it's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is full of righteousness peace and joy that is not modified by surrounding events because the source of righteousness peace and joy is our heavenly father in heaven and heaven is not under threat today I just want to let you know no one's voting it down you can't vote to join and neither can you vote to leave. 
Paul knew he represented a superior kingdom. We represent a superior kingdom. We represent ultimate stability. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. Politics and religion divide people. It's the very nature of the political spirit is to create a cause to which you recruit people and to which people gather and the nature of that cause then comes into opposition to another cause. I mean, certainly the, you know, the Westminster Parliament is even built around that idea because you've got two low rows of benching facing each other. So if the political spirit gets loosed in a church, what starts to happen is an interest group arises around sometimes a person or a, a complaint and people gather to that, and then other people say, well, I'm not going to gather to that. And you start to get this thing called division. And what we are above, if we remember who we are, is the political spirit. It doesn't mean you can't have a political view. Yeah? So you, you, this room is full of different views on what's been taking place. But the goal is not to partner with that so strongly that you start to demonize people that don't agree with you or fear that the heavens are falling in on your head because what you believe in isn't happening. Because there is a greater reality that you are part of. You're a citizen of heaven first and that cannot be shaken. Your income, your job, your family, the future of your children is not dependent on what we vote to do with Europe. Honestly, where do we get that idea? We just said it, that he supplies all our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My employer is the means by which I'm supplied. He is not the source of the supply. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but he remains. Yeah? And he's the one who raises some up and puts others down. And that's, we've, we've lived with that for thousands of years and maybe we'll live until Jesus returns. That's how it's going to be. But let's not partner with a fear-based culture that locks us into anxiety about our future because of some vote that happened about the European Union. Our kingdom is greater than the European Union, the Westminster Parliament, Holyrood, United States, all put together. It's more significant, more powerful, and it's what the world needs, more than any of them. Can I hear, like, I really believe it, amen on that. The kingdom of God is more significant than the European Union, more significant than Holyrood, more significant than than the Westminster Parliament, more significant than all of them put together. It is more powerful and more influential. They only exist at the permission of heaven. God just says, go, (coughs) no more of you, and it will be gone. Or create something else. Or He could sustain it. It could become double the... I I don't know what he's going to do because he he has a plan for it all. But I'm just saying he has the power to do that, all right? I'm not making a value judgment about its value. I'm just saying what he is able to do. Please don't mishear what I'm saying. So I want to exhort us to not partner with fear. 
No matter how passionate you are for your cause, do not let it trump the cause of heaven. No matter how passionate you are for your nation, for your political party, if you are a believing Christian, that should not be your primary emotion, not govern the primary uh, emotional state. If your affections and your emotions are driven by those things, then it's time to recalibrate and tune in to the kingdom of heaven and look a bit longer at the face of the Father who loves you. I had to do that. I was, I was weeping. I'm like, I was like, oh, this is huge. I feel things. I, I love my country. Yeah. Yeah? I love the UK. I love Scotland. Now, the way I express that love may be different to the way what I believe is good for it, may be different to what you believe is good for it, but these are deeply emotional times. But I need to anchor myself somewhere else other than, because my affections for him way exceed my affections for my nation. I mean, I can get upset when the, I'm sorry, but the England football team does well. I mean, I just... (laughs) I get grumpy when it loses and weepy when it wins. It's just, that's just where I grew up. You have to live with that, guys. And it'll be the same for you in different ways, different things about your nation and, and where you grew up that are special to you, that connect you to. And that, that level of nationalism is okay. It's when it rules you above your affections for the king of heaven. Yeah, That's not good. That is the route to... Uh, to real disaster actually and what happens is what had happened here in Ephesus is they the believers were disconnecting themselves from the powers from the atmosphere from the pressures that governed everybody else's lives and that meant they set a different environment and a different standard to everybody else and they weren't even ashamed to burn their millions of pounds worth of scrolls because it did they didn't care about that because they valued Jesus so much but that meant they changed the city. The city didn't change them. Yes. So my appeal to us really is, is if we recalibrate our affections into the right place, actually we become, we become the catalyst for transformation in our city and our nation. Yes. So it becomes a place of righteousness, peace and joy, regardless of what or who you voted for. If we are connected to and harnessed to the winds of change that blow around our political system and the EU and Holyrood and Westminster and then we will just be swinging with everybody else and we won't look any different. We're here to release the kingdom of heaven, not establish the European Union or Westminster or anybody else. Those are inferior concerns. They're not invalid concerns or unimportant concerns, but compared to the kingdom of heaven, they are inferior concerns to the point where Paul said, I count everything as garbage, literally as dog poo in the Greek, for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. And he had a lot of amazing things in his life given from his cultural background that were valuable from his cultural background which he completely discarded in order to connect all of his affections and passions to Jesus and the cause of his kingdom. We have to be willing to do that because that is the greatest prize. Everything else is inferior. I hope I'm helping you today. 
so Hebrews, I've referred to this already, but Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And I just thought this morning was amazing because that's what we were doing. I thought, this church is growing mature. I'm so proud of this heartbeat that's in this place because all this crazy stuff is going around us. We all gather and we are worshiping Jesus with, 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 with praise on our lips and he loves that. Your world may have just got turned up right, upside down. You're worshipping him with your heart. He loves that. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are, we are actually aliens and exiles here. We are citizens of heaven. And we're here to bring more of heaven to the earth. That's our primary function. And this is a great opportunity to do that. Honestly, this is... If I said at the beginning, it's important we don't get lost in all that's going on and miss the atmospheric shifts that are happening and the mood shifts in our culture that are huge open goals for the kingdom of God to walk into. As simple as being in your office on Monday and releasing peace and joy rather than complaint, anxiety, fear. I'm not saying that there aren't issues to be resolved. I'm just saying, what's your emotional state? What, what, are, you, what are you anchored and connected to? And are you just going along with the, the flow of everybody else's anxiety because it's easier to do that? Or are you actually releasing something by your words and your demeanor, which is righteousness, peace, and joy? You're just releasing the kingdom. Yeah. People will look at you like, what do you have? Like, I have Jesus. <laughs> and he's still on the throne last time I looked. We can walk in peace because we're not partnering with the distress caused by the unfolding events. We can focus our affections on Jesus, Father, and Holy Spirit and let them rule our inner life, inviting them into our feelings. Now, feelings are important, but they are not there to rule us. Let me try and illustrate this. My mom died. I needed to grieve. That was an absolutely important feeling. Yeah? And to bury that and deny that would actually probably be psychologically damaging to me. But not every feeling I have is a wholesome thing. So fears and anxiety are feelings. They're often rooted in things that we need to get out of our lives, not invite further in. Because fear is usually rooted in a lie or a lack of love, because love gets out of fear. So the oral feelings, some we really need to look after, others we need to not partner with. Yeah. And the devil can give you a feeling. Yeah. Just because you're feeling it doesn't equal its reality. Yeah. So I think it's very important when we, we move in the realms of vulnerability that we understand the source of the things that we are feeling and validate and strengthen the right things and confront the wrong things in ourselves and in one another. So we have to have a culture in which there is confrontation, otherwise we'll allow one another to be drawn away into all kinds of other affections which are not healthy. Just saying. 
so we can walk in peace and righteousness and joy. You are fully equipped to do that. It's your, your new nature's main reference point is righteousness, peace, and joy. If you cut everything else out of your life and just let your life just center, what's going to start coming out of you is righteousness, peace, and joy. Because Jesus is in your heart. Can't help but be anything else. (laughs) We can right now honor and pray for the people that govern and lead us. Some of the scriptures that were written to the early church to honor those that were in leadership were written to churches that were being persecuted and thrown to the lions by the people they were supposed to be praying for and honoring. We haven't got to that point yet. They may be, you know, your leaders may be not agreeing with what you would like, but they haven't thrown any of us to the lions yet. This should be fairly easy for us. But I have to say, it isn't always. So, just personal experience, a couple of years, a year ago, the... uh, the sitting government here changed the stamp duty rules. God really got me on this one. It's like, they changed the stamp duty rules. The stamp duty went up. So for a whole year, the price of houses in Scotland went down. I was upset. <laughs> because of my house, not because of yours. <laughs> and I was like, government. And I was like, oh, that's not a good attitude, is it? This is often easier to see when you go to another country than when you're here. So when we were in South Africa last autumn, you could see, particularly the white community in the church, were on the edge of rage with uh, Zuma, who is their black president. And yes, the government is corrupt. Yes, they're making foolish decisions. Yes, it's nepotistic. Yes, it's quite Zulu and not very Western. And yes, the value of the rand has halved. And yes, all kinds of really uncomfortable economic and social realities are unfolding. But what we were seeing was a church over, churches overwhelmed by these concerns and not understanding in that moment the opportunity they had to unify their nation and release something amazing, which they had done before in 1994 uh, in the whole turmoil of... Uh, yet apartheid being overthrown. And that peaceful transition was incredible, and a lot of it was down to the church and church leaders. It's almost as if they'd forgotten who they were, and all this economic turmoil and, and poor justice. The church still had a voice and a powerful place to be if it didn't partner with all these other concerns and worries and political stuff. Yeah? That's really what I'm saying to us. It's just we need to see what we're surrounded by and I don't get the grumps with whoever because my house price went down for a year because that's a petty issue. I'm told that I'm going to honor those that that lead us, whether my house price is up or down. Is this making sense to anybody other than me? (laughs) Um, So we need to honor and pray for those in Westminster, those in Holyrood, Anybody you can think, let's pray wisdom of God on these people. Because a lot of them don't know what to do either. <laughs> now, honestly, the more you talk, there, there is an incredible open door into politics for some significant and senior church leaders. And 
The feedback, you, they can't say a lot because they're privy to certain things, but the feedback you get is they really want the word of the Lord. They really want to hear God. They are desperate for understanding. So this is a great opportunity, guys. Uncertainty, they don't know what to do. It's a great opportunity to pray, and God will give, and is giving access to the parliaments to significant prophets and apostolic voices. Already that is happening. I think Chris Vallotton has been to the UK parliament six times in this last year. There's over 100 Westminster MPs are committed Christians of the 600 and, and many others have a, a, a church adherence. Stuff's going on that you don't necessarily know about and the news doesn't lift up, but it's going on. We can keep resisting the political spirit and love everybody that doesn't agree with us. In the church, out of the church, we're here to bless everybody. If they voted leave or remain. And I think I've covered that one. Um, Yeah, let's release peace and blessing in our environment. Find ways to bless people that don't agree with you. Yeah, and don't partner with all this Facebook, Twitter stuff. My goodness. It's easy to say something in that social media environment with apparently no consequences. Let's not do that. Let's not just not partner with negativity and yeah. It is time. We are in a time of openness to the gospel, which I believe is going to become unprecedented. Some of you will have heard already. If not, get on our Facebook page. Uh, a small revival has already broken out in Reading, England, where in the last four weeks, 1,600 people have come to faith. Woo! Come on. I'm going to say that again because it warrants in Reading, England, 1,600 people have come to faith in the last four weeks. So many. <laughs> So many people are getting saved, they don't know how to follow them up, and they don't know what to do with them. It's happening on the streets, they're leading work colleagues, family members to Jesus. It's not a coincidence. What I'm trying to say to you, do not miss the God picture in this. It's not a coincidence that there's turmoil politically, but here we have the kingdom of heaven invading the earth. And it's going to happen here. It's already been happening in Northern Ireland. They've seen thousands saved, those guys in the, in the church in Coleraine that, that we met. The, the, there's a hunger for reality that isn't p- politics. and There's a hunger for righteousness, peace, and joy. It means there's a hunger for Jesus. Um, <laughs> it's a really good, good moment to demonstrate the superiority of the kingdom through signs and wonders and deliverance. It just is. That's how people know we are from that place because people get healed, delivered, and saved. That's a demonstration of the superior reality. So good to just pick up a Facebook post from uh, Hannah about a hearing. Is it tinnitus got healed or something? That's cool, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, it was a Facebook. That was a good use of Facebook, by the way. Spread the good news. 
Don't spread anxiety, fear, and all that other stuff. And remember, God is, I've said this in different ways, but God is sovereign ultimately over all the affairs of men. He really is. And he's working out his purpose. It cannot be thwarted. The earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And Jesus will come back for a glorious, victorious bride prepared before he comes. He's about that and it's happening. Let's just stand together. I want us to pray. And then we'll grab our kids. Just give us a moment. Can we just lift up our hands and <clears throat> pray for our political leaders right now? Just, God, put someone in your mind. Pray that they would get wisdom. Pray that they would sleep well. Pray that they would be blessed and encouraged. Yeah, Father, we do. We pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Father. Yes, Father. Father, we pray for Holyrood politicians. We pray for Westminster politicians that they would hear your voice, that they would publicly or secretly cry out to you. And that thank you for those you've given access into those places of power. Let give them courage to speak for you into those situations. And we pray that this would be a moment of great outpouring in our nation, uh, that our leaders would feel loved and honored, even if they don't feel agreed with. Let this be a new day uh, that we can pioneer, that we can be the first of in our city and in our nation, that we love everybody, whether we agree with them or not, and they know it. Father, we pray for a great outcome. We pray for favor. We pray for security in our city. I pray for peace that there wouldn't be violence, that there'd be an unusual peace in Glasgow. I just, God, just as we saw fear disappear and less knives being carried, let there be an unusual peace in our city, an unusual level of prosperity in our city, an unusual, an unusual level of clarity about these issues, that, that, that tensions between ins and outs would not arise, God. In Jesus' name. We want to rise up as your church. We want to rise up because we do represent your kingdom. We represent the greatest kingdom that there is. The one that made it all is who we represent. And we want to release peace and joy. We want to release healing and salvation to those around us. We want to live in that opposite spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.